flick over to Galatians. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're working our way through this book in the Bible, Galatians. Uh, just before Ephesians, it's a letter that Paul wrote. We're just over halfway through it now. It's got six chapters. We are on to finally chapter four and uh, heading into some really interesting material this morning. So I'm going to read this chapter, uh, not the whole chapter, just the first seven verses of it, and then we'll look at it and uh, see if you can hear some of the links to the themes in that video clip about adoption and custody and fatherhood and parenting and children. That's some of the ideas that's going on in this passage that we want to pick up on this morning. So Galatians 4 verse 1. What I am saying is that as long as heirs are underage, they are no different from slaves, although they own the whole estate. They are subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by their fathers. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but God's children. And since you are his children, he has also made you heirs. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word this morning pray you'd open our minds, our hearts, our eyes to see and hear and understand your truth speaking forth from the pages of your word. Lord, our minds are full of all kinds of things now and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would create a space within us to hear clearly what your spirit has to say to us today. We place ourselves in a posture of receiving now what you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, adoption. Adoption is a pretty familiar concept in our, in our culture, in our society. Uh, people are adopted every year all over the world. Interestingly, I found out that ad- adoption rates in a lot of countries, including New Zealand, are going down significantly. Uh, 1968, in New Zealand, there were over 2,600 adoptions. These are adoptions to non-family members, so out- outside of the family. But by 2008, just 77 adoptions in New Zealand. So really dramatic um, drop-off. And there's various theories to why that is. Uh, some claim teenage mothers are keeping their children uh, and so fewer adoptions. There are probably more family adoptions, so more extended family stepping in. Various theories on why that is, but much, much fewer adoptions today. Uh, still, it's pretty common and uh, it's, it's, it's a part of society. Adoption is a convention within our culture, within our society, with which uh, we're all pretty familiar. Some of you will be adopted children. Uh, Some of you have adopted children. Uh, Some of you think that our son Joshua was adopted (laughs) because of his sheer size. And uh, and I've had moments where I've wondered that myself. But uh, he he is actually (laughs) our own natural child despite despite his enormity. Uh, But, you know, adoption is familiar to us and it has a long, long history way back to thousands of years before, before Jesus in ancient Babylonian culture. But... In the Roman Empire of Paul's day, it was very popular, very common. In fact, one of the Roman emperors, Caesar Augustus, he was adopted. He was an adopted son. That's how he became the emperor. He was adopted in, he received the inheritance and the succession to the throne. But it was a very popular procedure. 
And in this part of Galatians, Paul is using the metaphor of adoption, the concept of adoption, to make some profound statements about what it means for you and I to be children of God, to be part of God's family. If you remember some of what we've talked about in Galatians, the big issue in Galatia is who is part of God's family and who's not. Who's in and who's out? Who, who, who can rightly call himself a child of God and who is on the outside of this family? And so Paul draws on a cultural convention of adoption to speak to this issue. The, the problem for us is that we will be tempted as we go through, we'll be tempted to take our understanding of adoption in our modern culture and context and, and assume that it worked exactly the same way for Paul. If we do that, we're going to come off track. We're going to miss some of the points of what he's saying because Paul is dealing with adoption as it worked in Greco-Roman society in the first century, which had some distinct differences to the way adoption works today. Uh, For one thing, adoption in ancient times, it was called adoptio in the Roman culture, it was only done by the father, father of the household, not husband and wife making some joint decision. This was the father. We talked last week about how it was a heavily patriarchal society. It was the father who would decide to adopt. It was the father of the child who would decide to adopt out and this was all done by the heads of the household, the father. And it wasn't just babies who were adopted. Children could be adopted right up to adulthood. You could be adopted out as a teenager, even possibly as a full-grown adult. The only rule, apparently, was that there had to be at least an 18-year gap between the child and the adopted father. As long as there was an 18-year gap, you could, the, the age could be whatever you wanted it to be. So you can imagine how traumatic that must have been for children, adolescents, even adults, being wrenched out of their natural family and into this new adopted family. So we need to keep some of these conventions in mind as we look at what Paul is saying because there are things about his world and the process of adoption in the first century which make the point that he's wanting to make about what adoption means in God's eyes and what it means to be God's adopted children. So Paul starts by picturing us, by picturing us before we knew Jesus as children in need of adoption. This is the image. We were children, it's like we were children in our own natural family in need of adoption. So before we became Christians, this may be you if you, if you don't know Jesus today. If you're not in that relationship with him, Paul says this, your state is like a child who needs to be adopted. And one of the main reasons that children would need to be adopted, one of the main reasons families adopted out their children is because a family was struggling financially. They were crippled with financial debt. And the way that it worked in these cultures is that if, you, if, if, if your family had a debt, that debt was held by the father of the family and it was passed on to the eldest son. There's nothing that son could do about it. If your family has this debt hanging over its head, when this son comes of age, he will inherit that debt. So while other sons might have been looking forward to inheriting the family estate, the family fortune, the wealth, the assets, this son in this family has nothing to look forward to except inheriting a huge pile of debt. And he's going to spend the first part, maybe the best part of his adult life, working off, trying to work off that debt before he can get himself into a position to make something of his life. So he's starting on the back foot. He's disadvantaged. And with that came a huge amount of social shame and stigma. Now Paul looks at that child, the situation of that child with debt hanging over his head, and he looks at you and I, and he says, that was you. That's who you were. It's an image for understanding who we are and who we were outside of Christ. We were these children, this son with debt hanging over his head because 
Paul doesn't mention it specifically here, but you and I were born into a natural family. Not just your biological family with your mum and dad, but, but a family whose head ultimately is Adam. The ultimate head of the family of humanity is Adam. That's the natural family that you and I belong to. We trace our ancestry ultimately to him and Adam and his wife Eve made a decision to assert their own autonomy, to assert their own independence from God, to turn away from him towards themselves. And in doing so, they inherited, they incurred a massive debt. It wasn't a debt in terms of checks and balances and some sort of legal transaction. This was a, this was a relational debt. This was the debt of alienation from God. This is the debt of separation from him. This is the debt of Adam and Eve symbolized by their expulsion from the Garden of Eden, the debt of them being cast out of the presence of God, a, a relationship that was characterized by love and intimacy and proximity, now characterized by alienation, by separation, by enmity. That is the state that Adam and Eve found themselves in. That is the debt that they carried. That is the debt that they have passed on to every child of Adam, including you and I. And so this is where we find ourselves, in a family riddled with debt, in a family with this relational debt hanging over our heads where we find ourselves alienated and estranged from God, from the God who created us, from the God who loves us, who defines meaning and purpose in life. And the point really where this analogy breaks down a bit is that for the son in the, in the natural family, the debt that he would inherit was really nothing to do with him. He, just, he was going to inherit it one day, but he had no responsibility for it. But for you and I, things are a little different because if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we have some culpability here. We have some responsibility. It's not, I mean, we've inherited the debt. Yes, Adam made a mistake. Yes, that's been handed down. But you and I are not exactly blameless. We have done things. We have lived in ways. We have turned aside from God. We've just lived the way we want to live. And we still do a lot of the time, don't we? We just do our thing, our way. We just turn inwards, ourself, my agenda, my thing, my interests. We just live, we bring God down to our terms. And if you think about the way that you and I lived before we knew God, if you can remember back to those days, before you knew Jesus, what kind of life was it? Maybe you were chasing after things other than God, centering your life around these other, you know, sport, job, relationships, money, sex, power, whatever it was. We chase after these other things and we just marginalise God. He's over here. Or if we do deal with God at all, it's just on our own terms. He's in the box. We'll just keep God at a distance, keep him at bay. And because of this, we have reinforced the debt. We've reinforced the separation. We've reinforced a sense of alienation between us and God. So we find ourselves now, this is where Paul starts, we find ourselves in a place where we're like a natural child in a natural family with a huge debt hanging over our heads that we can do nothing about. It's just there. Separation and alienation. And Paul doesn't say this to condemn us or make us feel miserable about ourselves. He says this, he sets this up so that he can provide an incredible contrast with what comes next. So that he can turn a corner and talk to us about what it means now to be rescued out of that situation. 
And this is what he says in chapter 4, verse 4. He says, but, that word is the hinge in verse 4, but, he turns a corner with that, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. So the picture is, we have now been adopted out of this natural family whose head is Adam into this new family whose head is God. That's, that's the adoption process. See, for, for, for a family crippled by debt, riddled by debt, the last, the last remaining option you had is to adopt out your child. Difficult as that would be. It was the only way to clear the debt of that child and prevent them from having a life enslaved to paying off this debt because when a child is adopted, they carried no debt from the natural family through to the adopted family. The debt was completely cleared of their name and in this new family, they had none of the debt that they used to have under their old natural father in that household. Paul says, this is what has happened. This is what God has done for you. And the process of adoptio in the Roman uh, legal system actually was a two-step process. So what would happen? The natural father, he would actually transfer his son, it was usually the eldest son, he would transfer his son, firstly, to an intermediary. There was this, this guy in the middle of the, of the deal who sort of brokered it. And the intermediary would then own the son temporarily. It was actually like selling him as a slave to the intermediary. He would be formally transferred. The intermediary would own the son like a slave and then the adopted father would redeem the son. That, that's a slave word, that word of redeem. He would transfer this child from the ownership of the intermediary into his family and he would become the child of the adopted father. So it's this two-stage process with an intermediary in the middle. And we're kind of reading between the lines a little bit here in terms of what Paul is saying, but I think Paul sees Jesus playing that role of the intermediary. Paul says, here's what Jesus has done. He has stepped into that breach between your natural father, Adam, and your, your, your spiritual father, God. Jesus has come as the one who brokers the adoption. He's stepped into the middle of it. And he has taken upon himself the debt that you and I had incurred. He's taken upon himself, not sort of checks and balances, not moral commandments, but Jesus has taken upon himself the debt of alienation from God, the debt that you and I experienced, that separation that we experienced, that we deserved, the alienation, the estrangement, the severance of ties. Jesus experienced that on our behalf. This is the significance of Jesus' words on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, we usually concentrate in that verse on the, on the fact that Jesus talks about why have you forsaken me, but think for a minute about the name that he calls God. It's the only time in the Gospels where Jesus refers to the Father as God, Theos, Every other time that Jesus talks to God, he calls him Father. Jesus experiences God as Father. But on the cross, something happens. And Jesus loses the Father presence of God. This is the alienation that Jesus experienced. On the cross, the Father withdraws his presence from the Son. 
The Father turns his face away from the Son. This is exactly what it meant for Jesus to stand in your place, is for him to experience what you and I have incurred and deserve, alienation. The Father turns away. So in his darkest hour, in his moment of utter anguish, Jesus cannot appeal to God as Father, but only with the, the much more distant term, my God, my God. You see what that, that speaks to us of the distance that at that moment Jesus felt and experienced from the Father. What he's doing is standing in your place. It's right there in that phrase. Jesus is experiencing God as distant, as separate. Still God, but no longer Father in that moment. And he did that for us. Jesus lost the presence of God as Father, precisely so that God the Father could look at you and I and adopt us as his children and draw us to himself and restore that Father presence. The very presence that Jesus didn't have on the cross. Now that's ours because God has adopted us into his family. He's adopted us as his children. He's made himself our Father and us his children. And if you were adopted in the first century, it wasn't like, it wasn't like you arrived in this new family as some kind of second class child. It wasn't like you were inferior to other natural children in that family. You received the full standing of sons and daughters. This was a profound status change from a family riddled with debt, burdened with shame and social stigma into a family where you have the full standing of sons and daughters and a family with no debt, probably a family of much higher standing than your own. You were taken out of that into this and you had the full rights of sons and daughters. And what that means for us within God's family now is that we have the same standing as his own natural son does, Jesus. Jesus is God's own true, natural, firstborn, only begotten son, right? What does it mean for you and I to be adopted into that family? It means that we have a full standing now as sons and daughters, not second class, not inferior, not on the edges, not marginalised, full rights of sons and daughters, full standing, even as Jesus himself does. This is the unspeakable privilege, what it is to be children of God. That kind of proximity. Next time you're feeling distant from God, you know, next time you just can't sense his presence, feel disconnected, feel alienated, just draw this image back to your mind. Just read these verses again and remind yourself, I've been adopted into God's family. I've been given the full rights of his own natural son, Jesus. That's my standing before him. I can't lose it. I can't just, you know, make a mistake and it's gone. That's where I am. It's because of Jesus and what he's already done. He's already brokered the deal. He's already been the intermediary. I've received that transfer. If indeed you have, if you follow Jesus, you've received that transfer. Now you have a full standing as sons. You've been adopted. That's where you stand before him. And you can stand confidently on that. doesn't matter how you feel in the moment. doesn't matter whether you feel, you know, God feels distant, God feels close. You have this. It is secure. That's where you are. That's who you are. You're an adopted child of God. So live in that confidence. Live out of it. Live out of that security. Just know and know and know that it's true. It's true. It's real. Even if your emotions tell you something else. It's still true. And then Paul pushes us one step further. He, he really works this adoption metaphor and says there's one other thing that adoption tells us about our relationship with God. Look at verse 7. He says, So... You are no longer slaves but God's children. And since you are his children, he has also made you heirs. 
This is the thing with adoption in the Roman culture. It was inseparably tied to inheritance. In fact, one of the main reasons that fathers would adopt children into their family was to provide an heir for their fortune, for their inheritance. If they didn't have a son already, they needed someone to pass on the family line so that their estate would be transferred down. But Paul focuses the metaphor not on God's need to find an heir, but on our need to be adopted for our own welfare. Nevertheless, he says, you know, you've been adopted into this family and that means you've got the full standing now of sons and daughters. And if you have the full standing of a natural son in this family, what that means is you now share in the inheritance of that family. You are now entitled to that inheritance. And you say, well, what is that inheritance? What's happening? Get, get some cash, get some money. Is this going to work out for me pretty well? Well, Paul describes it in various ways, but here he's extremely specific in terms of what this inheritance means. He describes it in verse 6. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. The spirit is our, our inheritance. This is the inheritance we receive. The logic is God's adopted us. We are now his full sons and daughters. We've received an inheritance as sons and daughters. That inheritance is none less than the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, God promised his spirit. He promised to place his spirit in the hearts of his people, Ezekiel. And that, that sat there as a promise, unfulfilled for, for, for generations. But now Jesus has come. He's poured out his spirit. Jesus has adopted us. God the Father has adopted us. And now we've received this incredible inheritance of the spirit, the one that was promised from ages ago. The spirit now poured into our hearts. And this spirit, the Holy Spirit, you know, it's not like a, it's not a force field. It's not, a, not just some vague, abstract kind of power. You know how we often think about the Spirit as kind of just this, like the force of Star Wars or something, you know, just a general, generic, abstract thing. It's not. Paul describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus. It's the Spirit of God's Son. It's the Spirit of the living Christ in us. It's not an it. It's a he. It's a person. It's Christ in us. Jesus alive in us, living in us, breathing through us, working out in our lives. That's the Holy Spirit. Not detached, impersonal, but Jesus, real, alive with us right now. And the Spirit of Jesus within us, here's the extraordinary thing, the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. That word Abba is uh, an Aramaic term, which Aramaic is is just a later version of Hebrew. And it it sort of sits somewhere, as best we can tell, it sits somewhere between dad and daddy. You know, in terms of the the name that Hebrew children would call their fathers. It's not quite daddy, because it still somehow has this connotation of respect there and reverence. But it's more intimate even than dad. So our son Joshua, you know, he's, he's, he's starting to say dad, dad, and mum, mum. You know, I think at the moment, actually, we're both mum, mum. Basically. <laughs> it's quite a humbling thing for me, really, just to be, I'm, I'm mum, mum. I'll just have to, all right. But, but, he, but he's getting there, you know, slowly. But, but, but if, if, if he was born in this time, if he was a Jewish child in the first century, probably we'd be teaching him to call me Abba, Abba. You can hear how that would be a term, right? That you'd teach children. It just has that baby sound to it. Abba, instead of dad-dad or dada. So that's the idea. I mean, it is a term of incredible intimacy. 
Incredible proximity. It, it expresses that unique bond between father and child, especially young child, like a newborn baby. Just the profound bond that, that, that is there. And Paul says, you have been adopted as God's children and given the privilege through the Spirit of calling, addressing God as Abba, Father. Now here's the thing, who else in the Bible called God Abba, Father? Who was it? Jesus. Mark 14. The only other time in the whole Bible anybody calls, Je- calls God Abba was Jesus. And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane at the point of great anguish as he's contemplating his impending death. He's thinking about what lies ahead of him. And as he's struggling there in Gethsemane, Mark 14, verse 36, he says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. I found it so interesting that the very next time after this that Jesus addresses God directly is on the cross in that verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So you have here in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus using the most intimate term to address God, Abba, Father. Then the very next time he uses where he addresses God, it's with the most distant, my God, my God. Something profound happens between those two times. But here in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus demonstrates that amazing intimate bond that he had with the Father where he can address him as Abba, Dad, Daddy, Father. If it's possible, take this cup from me. And this bond of Father and Son, this incredible communion that's going on between Jesus the Son and God the Father, it's not just something that happened while he was on earth. This is still going on today. In heaven right now, Jesus, the Son, God the Father, they are still engaged in this incredible bond, this incredible communion, this incredible relating as Father and Son where Jesus is still crying out, Abba, Father. This is the relationship, the eternal relationship between Father and Son. (coughs) And the extraordinary claim of Galatians 4 is this, that you and I, having received the Holy Spirit, are given an invitation to share in that same intimacy with God the Father that Jesus himself shares. You haven't just been adopted as God's children. You haven't just been invited to address him as Father in some generic sense. You have been drawn in to share in the same tender intimacy with God your Father that his own son Jesus is sharing in right now. The bond of love the bond of intimacy between father and son, you're drawn into it. You've got that level of access. You've got that level of intimacy. You're not down here somewhere and Jesus is up here. You have been drawn into that same incredible communion. That's what it means to call God Abba, Father. It's not just about using the word Abba to address God. It's about what that word captures. The intimacy, the tenderness, the proximity. You know, when when Joshua says, Dad, Dad, It's like my heart just leaps out of my chest to this child. You just don't realise you can love like you love and to hear him say those words, even if it is mum, mum, and he's talking to me, it's still, there's just something profound there and you just, there's a unique bond and intimacy and relationship there. 
It says something about the proximity that we are now invited to have with God our Father. And it's not something that you need to work towards, strive towards, try and earn or achieve. Don't see it like that. This is something you already have. If you've been adopted into God's family, if you've chosen to give your life to Jesus, you have that intimacy. Simply by virtue of possessing the Spirit of God, you have that intimacy right now. Regardless of how you're feeling this morning, regardless of what kind of week you've had, regardless of what kind of week's coming up, regardless of what kind of stuff is hanging over your head, and even if God feels a million miles away, you right now, the Spirit is sustaining your intimacy with God the Father. Because even when you can't, the Spirit in you is crying out, Abba, Father, holding you there, sustaining that link between you and God. So we're not, we're not trying to try, contrive this, conjure up a feeling, try and be close when we're not really close. We have this intimacy. We are there. That's how close we already are. We're just to enjoy it. We're just to bask in it. We're just to appreciate it, to remind ourselves of it and to tell ourselves when we are feeling distant that there's just no need to, to feel that way because we are right now closer to God than we could ever imagine, as close to God the Father as his own son Jesus is. And the other thing I love about this term Abba is just the sense of dependence that it expresses of a child to their father. Just this week, Joshua learned to crawl. Finally, finally, he's moving. You know, he's, a little, he's like a little drunken sailor wobbling around, you know, but he's sort of making some progress. But the thing is, you know, he's just getting going and he'd much rather not crawl. What he'd rather do is just sit there and give us the, the universal children's sign for pick me up, you know. This. The hands go up and you just realise he's not interested in crawling, he just wants to be lifted up, you know. But I can't help, without being cheesy about it, I can't help think that maybe in this term Abba, as we can approach God this way. There's that sense of assuming the posture of a child who just lifts up their arms to our Heavenly Father and just says, I need you to pick me up. You know, I can't get through this on my own. I can't deal with this in my own strength. I can't handle this situation by myself. I don't want to live a life detached from you. God, I need you to lift me up. It's just total dependence, isn't it? Just placing ourselves in the posture of a completely dependent child lifting up their arms to their, to their father to say, please carry me. I, I just can't do it alone. That's what it means to approach God as Abba Father. That's what it means to have that connection. Some of you this morning are right in that place of just struggle and suffering, circumstances and situations coming against you and battering you round. And perhaps for you this morning, it's just to stop and take a moment and lift up your arms and say, Abba Father, carry me, please. Maybe for you, you, things are going great and life's just coasting along and because of that, you have become detached from God. You're just doing your thing and you've lost that childlike dependence on God. Maybe for you this morning, it's to say, God, things may be going well, but I don't ever want to lose this posture of total dependence on you. You need to resume that posture of a child, even though circumstances might be good, to come back and just show some humility and say, God, I still need you to lift me up. Don't ever let me think I can just sort things out on my own, make my own way, fix my own stuff, live my own life. God, I, I need you and I want to need you more than I do. And maybe you're here today and you've never taken that first step of being adopted into God's household. And you, you've sat through this whole message and you realise, you know, I'm still over here in the natural family. 
I'm still, a, I'm still in this family with a huge debt over my head and I'm alienated from God entirely. I've never even gone through that process. And friends, today can be that day. There's nothing more that needs to be done. The intermediary, Jesus, has already taken your debt on himself. God's here, present before you, inviting you to take that step, inviting you to simply lift up your arms and allow him to adopt you into his family. That opportunity is right here today if you're ready to take it. If you're here and you're thinking, you know, I want to take that step for the very first time, run into the arms of my Heavenly Father, become his adopted child, receive that inheritance of the Holy Spirit, be drawn into that union. That is here. That invitation is here right now for you to take that step, to make that move, to simply say to God, I'm sorry for this debt that I've incurred. I ask your forgiveness and I want to enter this new relationship. So I just want to give, extend a simple invitation as we share in communion in just a minute. If you're in that situation this morning, you've never taken that step, never taken that first step, and you say, you know, today is my day. I'm sick of being in this natural family over here, debt-ridden, full of shame. I'm pursuing this new family today. I want to, I want to experience adoption today. Today's adoption day for you. I want to invite you to come forward and share communion at the front. There's a little tray of communion up here. We'll all share it together, but there's something symbolic sometimes in coming and just taking it here before God and allowing him to adopt you into his family right here. And if you're in the situation, you've experienced that adoption, you're in God's family, you're following him, but you are just living at such a distance from him that is nowhere near the kind of intimacy that Galatians 4 talks about. And for you, today is a day to say, I'm not content with the proximity to God that I have right now. I'm not content with just a formal, clinical, sterile, distant, severed relationship. I'm coming back to this intimacy. I'm coming back to Abba, Father. I'm drawing close. I want to rediscover what it means to be a child of God. And through the Spirit within you, begin crying out again, Abba, Father. If today's the day you need to come down on your knees, lift up your hands and say, Father, I need you to pick me up. I'm becoming a dependent child again then that invitation's here for you as well to come down the front, share communion at the foot of the cross, return to God, cry out to him, Abba, Father, and experience the wonder of him picking you up and reaffirming to you your position and your place as his adopted son and daughter with the full rights and the full standing and the full intimacy of his own natural son, Jesus. So that's the invitation. Nothing magic about being up here, nothing particularly special. This is a moment between you and God. And if today's a day for you to make that symbolic gesture and come back to God or come to him for the first time, you're welcome to come and share communion up the front here as we take it together. Let me pray first and then we'll share in communion. Father, Abba Father, Father, we come to you this morning, we come to you as our dad, We come to you as Abba and we want to let that speak to us of the amazing intimacy that you offer to us. Father, draw us closer than we've ever been drawn before to you. We're so sick of being distant, so tired of being disconnected, so tired of just living with a sense of alienation when that's not what you died for. That's not what you've purchased for us. You've invited us so close You've given us such access. You've held out the opportunity for us to address you as Abba, Father. So draw us close today, God. Draw us right in. More than feelings and emotions, we're asking for a a sense of your Spirit's presence 
and a proximity to you as sons and daughters we've never had before. So draw us in as we share this meal together, reminding ourselves, Jesus, of your death and resurrection. Draw us close to you and take down any barriers right now that we are putting up that are preventing that intimacy from happening. We thank you for your invitation as our father, as our dad, to come to you. And we do that now. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shore Community Christian Church. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.